Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Webb. This podcast is the audio experience of my weekly live streams on Instagram, which I do every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like what you hear today, be sure to subscribe and share. You can also get lots more content at colorismhealing.com. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. People are really quiet about their love and affirmation and really vocal and loud about their disdain and hatred. The people who say they love us have to love us out loud. They do, because the people who hate us are hating us out loud. We don't just need pictures of beautiful dark-skinned Black women. We also need imagery and representation of people loving dark-skinned Black women. So much focuses on like, oh, if you want to improve the self-esteem of dark-skinned Black girls and you want to reduce people's colorist biases, show them beautiful images of dark-skinned Black women. Like, that's important. But we need to see people treating dark-skinned Black women with kindness and care and compassion and concern and gentleness and tenderness and affection. We also need to see representations of that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Monday night live stream with Colors and Healing. Yours truly, your host, Dr. Sarah Webb. So I did not preview the topic for tonight because I finally settled on it today. And that topic is being a single dark-skinned black girl. So this is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but I didn't really know what I was going to say about it or what my, you know, point was. But also it's a very vulnerable topic for me. So I kind of just like was waiting, waiting it out, that kind of thing. But I can't ignore my desire, the pull in me to talk about this issue. So I'm going to go ahead and pin that comment now. But in the meantime, say hello if you're joining in the chat. If you're joining me live, be sure to just send a wave or say hi. Let me know where you're watching from, where you're located. I always like to know where folks are tuning in from, especially if this is your first time. So let me, hey, Akosua. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, it's time to start talking about that. <laughs> yeah, so let me try to pin it. I have to type it out. Topic. Okay, so then let me see if I can pin it. Pin comment. All right, so let's see. Hey, Akosua. Hey, Black Knight 06. Two says, running man, still recovering. Missing running. It is my meditation and motion. Absolutely. I was, I'm writing, I'm writing like an um, affirmation workbook and I, I talked about running in one of the sections and I mentioned how for me it's like a moving meditation. So Yep, same same thing here. Atlanta, elegant, fly, fancy. Okay, screen name, I see you. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, hey, books by black women, books by BW. I assume the BW is black woman. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I'm glad you are here. Hello, K-Drama Oma, a.k.a. Michelle. Good to see you. One of the golden oldies there. Yeah, so I figured I should start pinning my topics too because people come into the lives at all different points of the conversation and I always try to stop and remind people about what we're talking about, but it's easy just to have it in the comment. Um, Thank you, Uzima Dance Fitness for buying the first badge of the night. Thank you so much. Um, Hi from New Jersey. I'm Tia. I've been stalking your YouTube videos and I'm thankful for all I'm learning from you. Yes, continue to stalk the YouTube videos, Tia. (laughs) Thank you. And your screen name sounds really interesting. 
So I will definitely be checking out your account or your YouTube channel to see what this dance fitness is all about. Sounds really cool. Um, keep shining. Thank you, Afro Herb Apothecary underscore shop. Um, <laughs> Books by BW says you are 100% right. <laughs> Yes, we love books by black women. Um, Eileen Nobree says hugs from Mozambique. Yes, hugs to you too, Mozambique. I love it because there's always at least one person who drops into the chat that they are, you know, international. So I always have at least one person, one of my international folks watching every week and I love it. Um, you might be the first person from Mozambique though. So even even more special. <laughs> Uzima Dance Fitness says fitness for us by us dance that centers and honors all things black and African culture yes are you familiar with um, Rashida Conde Miller of Messy Movement I know she's going to be like a guest have a guest appearance on Lizzo's watch out for the big girls all about like finding dancers you know backup dancers for Lizzo um, I think it's going to be on Amazon. So, yeah, she's really cool. She's here on Instagram at Rashida Miller, Rashida Conde Miller. I'm not sure what her actual um, handle is. Says Uzima Dance Fitness says, I'm not. I'm going to look her up. Yeah, she's really cool. And the body positive focus is very necessary and brilliant and beautiful. Um, hi, Mike Kevin. Good evening to you, too. I, I love this little tribe that we got going on here on the live stream. If you are not watching live, welcome on YouTube and or the podcast. I do these every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I keep I still want to say central. I'm so used to being on central time, but I'm on Eastern time for now. Um, and I do, yeah, so I do save these on YouTube and the podcast. So even if you have to leave early, if you can't watch the whole live, it'll be on my IGTV, um, YouTube and podcast. And um, if you ever miss one, if you want to go back and look at the archives, you can definitely find them there as well. So again, even though I've pinned the topic, tonight I am starting a conversation because I'm definitely not going to get to everything in one night. I'm starting a conversation about what it's like to be single as a dark-skinned black girl or dark-skinned black woman. I'm starting with the past, right? So I'm going to open up the curtain a little bit and let y'all into my personal experiences when it comes to being single. But I want to start with looking at the past, right? Before I get into like current day stuff or more recent developments. But as I mentioned, this is definitely something I've alluded to in recent posts, right? I remember I had this one video where I was talking about um, in my... Uh, live on internalized colorism how for me I internalized the idea that you know guys would not be able to see my beauty or see my worth because I was dark-skinned and they were colorists right so I've kind of started talking about it but I want to I've also just been thinking about the cultural pressure for women in general so not just dark-skinned black women really it's something that I think all women in particular feel especially in heteronormative contexts, right? The the stigma of, you know, oh, never finding a man or you're never going to get married, right? So that's all stuff that I'm going to start getting into today. Hopefully y'all find it interesting. Um, so as I mentioned, even though this is a somewhat vulnerable topic for me, like I have butterflies in my stomach just thinking about talking about it. But I also know that I can't ignore the pull in my heart to talk about it. And it's my, one of my core values is to be courageous. And last week when I talked about my number one secret to being confident, I talked about how courage is the gateway to confidence. So if I ever want to feel more confident talking about this topic, I have to have the courage to start, right? I have to lead by example. I can't just talk the talk. I have to walk the walk. <laughs> so if I'm telling other people to be courageous. I also have to make sure I continue to do that and continuing to push myself. And so I've gotten comfortable talking about colorism because at one time that was scary for me. Talking about colorism made my palms sweaty, right? It gave me a lot of anxious feelings. And now after over a decade, I'm a lot less afraid to talk about colorism. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna just say the stuff that gotta be said. And so now I'm like, I feel myself 
continuing to grow and stretch and evolve and like this is a new area definitely still related to colorism but it's a particular component of colorism that i'm less confident talking about so y'all are are witnessing the the evolution of dr webb right before your eyes so with this topic i am just starting this week so i don't have like this big manifesto rounds <laughs> like i don't have like um major profound takeaways also this is definitely not dating advice not at all so i apologize if you're a dark-skinned woman who is looking for my advice on how to find someone or how to date and you ain't gonna get that kind of video from me <laughs> you're this is mostly gonna be like a critique of the patriarchy i'm just letting you know up front so if you want to hop off this live while you can you can do that um but i want to start by talking about how we are conditioned to pine for romance. Also, I know some of what I say is going to seem controversial to people. And I know there are people who will adamantly disagree with some of the things I say. That's fine. Like, this is not a, in any way a judgment. Just like when I talk about my hair, it's an option, right? It's one way of living and being in the world. It's not a judgment on people who choose a different lifestyle, that kind of thing. I just have to say that, like... It's, I'm happy for, for marriage. If I get married someday, I, I'm not like, oh, I hate romance. That's not what this is about. But I do think that we are conditioned to pine for it. And when we look at the media, so I'll start with the media. Every TV show, every movie, even children's movies, even things that are, you know, marketed towards children, Disney is like the penultimate culprit of this they really focus on romance the either the romance is the main plot of the movie or the tv show or it's like an important subplot and one thing i noticed too is that it's not just oh this romantic relationship is portrayed as an everyday part of life just like going to work is a part of human existence or, you know, having friendships or being someone's child. It's just a part of what humans do, right? But the portrayal of romance in these stories makes it seem like it's the holy grail of human existence, right? It's not just, oh yeah, you know, people partner together and they decide to live their lives together. It's, oh, I am incomplete without this component in my life, right? Or this is the dream of that I, this is the highest aspiration I could possibly have for myself, right? And again, I do believe, especially as I get more into astrology and that sort of thing, I do believe that in this lifetime, some people's destiny is, you know, to pursue romance. But I think culturally speaking, we try to make it seem like it should be everybody's destiny. And I don't agree with that. But there is the layer of colorism that comes into that, right? So you're growing up. I grew up watching these movies and these TV shows that, you know, just made romance and getting the guy or having the guy choose you was just like it. Like that was it. But in seeing those stories, I never saw people who look like me in the story. Right? So then there's this like interesting tension where a dark-skinned girl, especially a dark-skinned black girl, is conditioned to see these stories as like the holy grail of human existence, but never seeing anyone who looks like her in those stories. And so you're like, okay, this is something I should want, but is it even possible for me? Right? And so there's this like inner tension. And then you think about things like music. And anyone who knows me knows I love me some music. And most music is even more obsessed with romance and love than movies, right? Like the themes are always, I want somebody. I'm happy I got somebody. I lost my somebody and now I'm sad. <laughs> it's like, is every song a love song or a song about the loss of love or a song about like wishing for love, right? Now, I still love music and I will still listen to all the songs that are about love and romance as I'm giving this critique, right? It doesn't mean I'm going to stop listening to music. But I think it's interesting how that is what's so marketable, right? But even in music videos, for example, if you're, whew, 
watching a, an R&B love song and there's a music video about it, do you see yourself represented in that particular love story? Even when we're looking at quote unquote black love stories, again, whether they're created, actually created by black people or not, it's seen as a black love story. Speaking of that, slight tangent, living in Harlem is wonderful. And I was thinking about doing a series or like a vlog called Finding Black Love in Harlem because there's this really awesome Black-owned gift shop in Harlem, not far from where I'm at now. And in the, the little placards that they have out front are like, they have James Baldwin quotes on them and they have a photo from a movie poster from If Bill Street Could Talk, you know? And so that was one of the love stories, the rare love stories that featured a dark-skinned woman and they, you know, have black love written on it or whatever. I just thought that was a beautiful portrayal. Um, so anyway, I think there's, it's when it does happen, when you do see someone who looks like you as a dark-skinned black woman being the center of a love story, you kind of like cling to that representation and you like really cherish it. <laughs> That's how I felt. Like the, the one or two like dark-skinned girl love stories that I've seen and they didn't really happen until like I was an adult. Like I really, I could watch those over and over again. That's why I could watch Issa Rae movies and Insecure over and over and over again. And um, if Bill Street could talk, like those kinds of things. The other thing I was thinking as I look at my notes is how in media representation, not only is the love, the primary female love interest, not only is she most often lighter skinned than the man, if she's even black, she's not often not even black, or, you know, um, she's mixed race or biracial or something like that. But not only is that most common, but when you do see dark skinned women portrayed in those movies or those TV shows, for example, oftentimes she's the enemy or she's like the other woman or she's the problematic ex-wife that the guy is divorcing to find true love, right? And so it's this contrast of, you know, not only do we put position the lighter skinned person as the desirable one but we also have like the dark-skinned best friend who's not desirable coming to america my favorite example of colorism in this exact context right you have the very very light-skinned um sister who is the desirable one and then you have the dark-skinned sister who's less desirable and who is just portrayed as sort of being like desperate and being willing to do anything to chase after men who don't want her. Well, as the light-skinned girl is kind of like having men chase after her that she doesn't want, right? And so it's just an extreme juxtaposition of the desirability of the light-skinned woman and the, you know, sort of misrepresentation caricature of the darker-skinned sister. Um, so I think the media definitely conditions us to just fantasize and prioritize romantic relationships before a dark-skinned black girl, you don't even see yourself represented in that thing that you're being conditioned to prioritize. Um, but I also wanna say, of course, that these, I, the idealization of romantic relationships and marriage is not just perpetuated in the media. We all know that the people around us in our everyday lives, like the actual humans we come in contact with, also perpetuate this idea. Um, and it's the, what I've found is that for, for especially for a cishet woman, um, and even just for even like a transgender woman, I think this holds true as well. It's the ultimate social validation to be in a relationship for women. And you'll like, I remember, I think my mom was talking to me about this one time where she overheard like two mothers, like two older women talking about their daughters. And like the first question, like they, imagine the women hadn't seen each other in a while. So they're catching up like, oh, and how's your daughter? What's she doing? Is she seeing anyone? Is she in a relationship, right? So my mom, I think my mom noted how interesting it was that that was the marker for each of the women as to how their daughter was doing, right? Um, but I can't even begin <laughs> to really go into detail about all the things that people say 
and do and how they act and behave around you or towards you if you're single. Y'all already know. Let me pause before I share some examples and see what these comments are talking about because this is, this is kind of new territory for colorism healing. Uh, let's see. I grew up feeling like marriage is for light-skinned women, modern formulas. See? Ugh, I hate it. Yes, codependency is glamorized these days. Ooh, Queen James. Queen James, you said it, fam. <laughs> we need that on a t-shirt. Codependency is glamorized because, whoo, that's a... I'm I'm a I'm gonna make that a part two. I'm a, that's how I'm gonna start my part two. It's like, is it even love though? Like, is it even love or is it just codependency? Ooh, cause yeah, yeah. We often I, I I feel the same way. I feel like a lot of times what people label as love is actually codependency. I think that is definitely something we need to talk more about as a culture. Yeah. Um, Trey Lorraine. Hey, how you doing? Vulnerability requires bravery. So thank you for you. Thank you. So sweet. Um, okay. And then I saw some other ones. Elegant Fly Fancy says, when I was a teenager, I used to get so depressed watching music videos. They never used to put dark skinned girls in any other videos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And these are black videos. Ah, I mean, it's just so obvious. Bronx Tale, Modern Forms. I do remember Bronx Tale. I remember um, posting something on Facebook about, you know, this issue about representation of dark-skinned women in movies. And um, someone recommended a Bronx Tale to me. I was surprised. I was so shocked because it's like an older film. It was, yeah, Bronx Tale was really surprising to me, but I liked it. <laughs> Um, hey, Lisa Camille, iconic. The only music video I've seen was I Need Love by LL Cool J. Interesting. I remember um, Marcus Houston, All Because of You. He had a dark-skinned girl in that video. And I was like, oh, I kept re-watching the video. I was like, oh, she's dark-skinned. Like, this is petty, too. But I noticed that even when the dark-skinned girl was in the video, like, she was always, like, not directly in front of the camera. It's it's weird, but like I know it's like okay, I would be trying to see the dark skinned girl's face in the video, and they just wouldn't. It, it, they would just like show her arm, right, or show her silhouette, or show her shadow. It's like you could tell she was dark skinned, but they weren't like focusing on her face. Like she wasn't, I think, central the way a lot of the light skinned video actresses were. Uh, Smart Girl says The Princess and the Frog is another example. Coming to America is the worst. The new one isn't even a little better. I noticed that the new one um, like had like a dark-skinned daughter or something like that. I haven't tried to watch it though just because I'm scarred from the original one. <laughs> uh, blessed to be a blessing. 10 says yes, the only love music video I've seen with the dark-skinned girl being the desirable one is I Need Love by L.O. Cool J. Um, smart girl Simone says, unfortunately for women, our value and status comes from having a man. I'm getting very tired of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. All right, let me keep going. So some of the things, and you all have a warehouse of your own examples, I already know. But um, very common ones that we might all recognize. So when are you going to get married? Don't you think it's time to cut the cake? Someone actually mentioned that to me. I didn't know what they meant. I was like, cut the cake? Like, what are you talking about? And so I asked them like this and said, oh, they mean, you know, like a wedding cake. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, anyway, um, one of my favorites, you need a man. <laughs> so this, people use that you need a man, though. So it's also like how we police women, right? So if you're too opinionated or you're too outspoken or you're in any way showing up in a way that the other person disapproves of, it's like, oh, you need a man. And people will say that like, oh, you won't be so angry if you had a man. You wouldn't be so opinionated if you had a man. You wouldn't be so out, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't care so much about this political issue if you had a man. You wouldn't be talking about colorism if you had a man. <laughs> 
And then on the flip side is when people say, oh, I got a man. <laughs> so let me tell you why this is an interesting thing to say. One, you often hear it in response as a defense, as a defense mechanism that a lot of women throw out as to why they're okay or why they are good, like why they're fine. Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm happy. I got a man. You know, I got one. And it, the insinuation is like, and other people don't. Um, and I mentioned in one of my earlier posts that I heard a very popular YouTuber allude to the fact, it wasn't even an illusion. She directly said, um, you know, I haven't been talking about colorism as much. You know, I don't too much talk about this issues like this anymore because I got a man, you know, and her tone of voice was like so prideful. Like, oh, cause you know, I, I got a man, like I'm good. Right. Like it's a flex. It's a flex for so many people. And I, I understand, I don't know, maybe, maybe it should be, I don't know. For whatever reason, being in a relationship could be your, be your flex. That's fine. But to then use it as a flex in explaining why you don't talk about colorism is so problematic. It's extremely problematic. It sets us back. Those of us who actually do the work to educate people about colorism, it really sets us back. Because that is the number one, one of the number one criticisms people launch at us to invalidate or to discredit us who talk about colorism is you're only doing it because you want a man. You're just mad because you don't have nobody because nobody wants to date you because that's why you're going to always be single. Nobody wants y'all, ha, ha, ha. And so I encourage women that even if you're in a relationship, not to use that to buffer you from criticism when you're talking about colorism because it validates the argument, right? And so... When women say like, oh, well, I have a boyfriend or I'm married, so that's not the reason I'm talking about colorism. It kind of gives credibility to the trolls, right? And leaves room for like a woman like me who talks about colorism and who cannot pull my fiance out of my back pocket and be like, haha, I gotcha. I got a fiance, so that's not why I'm talking about colorism. Like so many of us who talk about colorism don't have that defense, don't have that as a shield. And so when people do use it as a shield, it makes those of us who don't have that shield even more vulnerable to those criticisms and attacks. So just a little side note there. Um, speaking of which, I, I get these I've gotten these a lot too, as like an outspoken, opinionated, sort of like independent, like just doing my own thing, wearing my head away. I want to wear it. I don't like to cook, whatever, like all the things, dressing in a unique fashion sense. Um, men don't like women who X, Y, Z. Our men don't like, don't want a woman who does this or does that, right? Um, or even other women, right? You get this from men and women. I remember I had, I was like 18. I was a senior in, in high school and there was this like adult man and he's like mid twenties. And he was like, you know, Sarah, you're gonna intimidate men someday. You're really gonna intimidate some men one day. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so that's problematic for a few reasons. But, but my response was like, no, I don't intimidate men. I intimidate boys. And I don't, I don't even like that response. Like now looking back, I was like, that was not a great response. But it was a smart aleck response. And it was the way I thought back then. Um, but yeah, this constant like social policing of how women show up. And the penalty for not showing up the way we think you should is that you're going to be single. And again, it's the underlying assumption that that's the worst thing that could happen to you. Right, like you don't want to do that because then you'll never find it. You then you'll always be single. It's like wishing somebody to hell, right? Like you're going to burn in hell, so don't do that. So it's simultaneously like oh, the make somebody afraid to do something, tell them they're going to be single forever. 
Make a woman afraid to not straighten her hair. You're gonna be single forever. Make a woman afraid to cut her hair. I remember when cutting all my hair off is like, oh, you know, men don't like that. You're not gonna find anybody who wants a woman with a shaved head, you know? It's, ugh. <laughs> this makes me, gives me the shivers. Um, and then my last example, is uh, I saw this a lot, but there are like a prevalence of like singles groups or like books or classes or organizations like for single people, but they're all about how to not be single. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Just a really, I'm just like making a note of that, how few of these like singles groups are actually about living life as a single person. They are 95% about how to not, how to one day soon not be single anymore. Um, so yeah, this is just, a, it's a deep, 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 deep part of our culture, I know. And it's, I like, again, like dating, being in a relationship, being married, what all the things, fun, great, exciting, but I just, I, I kind of wish it was seen as just like a part of life, right? Like, okay, it's just something you do. It doesn't have to be the end all be all for so many people. Um, and then I want to talk about more explicitly other ways that colorism influences your life or can influence the dating dynamic if you're a dark skinned black woman specifically. In the US in particular and around the globe, it's... Um, the being a dark-skinned person who's not black like being a dark-skinned indian woman for example it's a different kind of experience because you'll have like in the u.s for example a lot of black men who don't want to date dark-skinned black women would date dark-skinned non-black women so i think that's an interesting dynamic um but there is a lot of this does have to do with patriarchy and misogyny. And I know that, you know, doesn't make people comfortable necessarily, um, but it's true. Oh, th yeah, this is what I was saying. So again, th reflecting on my early life and how even before girls are actually old enough to date, people are making judgments about their future dateability, their future potential on the marriage market, right? And so I tell, I've spoken about how my mom tells me this story that when I was around five, my sister and I were younger. I was five, she was about seven. And some older women, like some older relatives, extended relatives were talking about how like, oh, my sister's gonna grow up and break some hearts one day. She's really gonna break hearts. You have to watch out for her. She's gonna be a heartbreaker. And just this, the assumption, like even before children can even think about dating or romance, adults are projecting their own beliefs and standards of like, okay, these girls are going to be heartbreakers. They're going to, they're going to be desirable. They're going to get married easily. And these girls should prepare themselves to be single, right? And these girls are going to have to like work really hard to compensate for their lack of desirability, right? Like, well, you're not gonna win any points for being cute, so you should really learn how to cook. <laughs> you should really learn how to cook and clean because, you know, you gotta bring something to the table. <laughs> if anybody's been watching like the TikTok trend of making fun of like these male podcasters who talk about, oh, are like these male TikTokers who are like, what do you bring to the table as women? It's a whole thing. So the whole thing is really entertaining and informative if you are interested. Um, but even at five, I understood why those women were saying that. I understood what they were saying, right? Even at five, I understood what they meant when they said my lighter skinned sister would break some hearts and they were not saying anything about me. I, at, at five, I was completely clear about that. And so we project and condition and teach either directly or indirectly children these kinds of beliefs and attitudes very early, very early on. And my mom heard me say, well, that's because she's light-skinned, right? So not only did I understand it, but I knew, I understood it well enough to name it. 
that, okay, you see the little light-skinned girls in the family and you tell them, oh, you know, you're so pretty and they're, they're the daughter that we're going to marry off first, right? Thinking about like um, uh, arranged marriages in India, for example. And then the dark-skinned girls, you're telling them, well, you can't marry a black man. Because you're already, you're, you're so dark that you can't marry a black man. You have to marry a, a white man or, you know, a non-black man so that your children don't come out dark like you. And they, again, telling this to girls before they're even thinking about dating. <laughs> it's just like something that you just, as the adult, projecting onto them. Um, and as I mentioned, as I come to a close in this, for this particular Part of the conversation as I mentioned I I did I internalized all these messages and I was like yeah ain't nobody um gonna be checking for me because they all colorist and stuff like that and you know and then I went natural and I was like well, I'm dark-skinned got a wide nose natural hair I'm opinionated <laughs> all the things and I was like okay yeah um they're not men in particular got and, and then I say black guys in particular I wanted to clarify that because obviously black men are not the only people who are colorist <laughs> white men can be colorist um Asian men can be colorist like indigenous men like all the people oh and women too like obviously women are colorist but I specify that for me it was black men in particular that I um understood as having uh, a filter of colorism having a colorism filter because that's who I have been conditioned to look to as potential partners as potential mates right so the way I grew up in the environment I grew up in I was not even like considering men of other races as potential partners or potential marriage partners and that's just because of how I was raised in the context of where I grew up right where I didn't see that and no one was really encouraging that or talking about that. Um, and so it, it was almost just like a non-starter for me to even consider that like, oh yeah, other guys are colorist and racist too. And so for me, it was seeing it and being impacted more by colorism from black men than even racism from white guys. Because for a lot of white guys, I was just merely invisible. Like... It was like, okay, do you even exist kind of thing. Whereas for a lot of the black guys, they would go out of their way. I was hyper visible, right, amongst black men and black guys. And a lot of times they would go out of their way to reject me. Even when I was not approaching them or making any advances towards them, or they'd go out of their way to say things like, oh, I only date light-skinned girls. And I was like, nobody asked you though. Or, you know, I don't date dark-skinned girls. You know, like just... A lot of times the black men will go out of their way to say these things. Whereas men of other races, we're not even having a conversation. Like it's just two different worlds completely. Um, and so when I highlight black men, it's because they, have, they are highlighted in my life and in my story. Not because they're the only ones who have these ideas and perspectives. Um, so yeah, I did not really believe or think that men would um, be interested in me or like date me because of colorism. But here's where I'm gonna leave off. I still expected to get married. <laughs> Is it, I, as I think, say it now, it's a really interesting phenomenon. But what I, I know now as an adult that the younger version of me, like in middle school and high school, you know, that version of me that like longed to have my own Cinderella story or that, you know, wanted to be the girl who like found the guy and then they lived happily ever after. There was a part of me that assumed it just, it, it would just happen. Like that was something that people that all people just naturally fell into. Like puberty. I really thought like finding your mate was like puberty. If you just wait long enough, it'll happen. If you just live long enough, you're gonna go through puberty. If you just live long enough, you're gonna find somebody somewhere someday. <laughs> and then I like went through puberty and graduated from college and 
got a few jobs, went back to my, get my PhD, bought a house, moved across the country. <laughs> and it was like, oh, maybe it's not like puberty. Maybe it's not something that just happens if you live long enough. So where I am now, dot, 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 to be continued. <laughs> so that was like a retrospective looking at like where I'm coming from, like the, the cultural context, the community family context that I grew up in. Oh, one other thing that I want to mention, I need to go back and add it to the blog post is that for a lot of dark skinned girls like me, there are so many dark skinned girls who have light skinned mothers. And I remember like over the years reflecting on how like even men in my family, right? Like the men, the first black men who are supposed to love you and see your beauty, like seeing them as examples, right? As the first examples of what black men want. And they're all choosing light-skinned women or they're all choosing non-black women, right? So that's definitely part of the early stages or, or early context in terms of colorism and being single as a dark-skinned black girl. So I have a part two in mind. Again, like I, I just finished writing the blog post for this at like, uh, like 10 minutes before I came live. So I don't, I can't say exactly what the part two is going to entail, but I do want to look more at like my current life, like as a fully fledged adult woman. Um, yeah. And just kind of like continuing the conversation and seeing where people are at. I realize I, there have been a lot of comments I haven't read. So before I close out, let me make sure I'm not uh, missing any important comments. Ooh. Black Knight 0626.2 says the remake of The Fresh Prince has dark skinned main characters. Yes, and that is on Peacock, I believe. And Dark Women Girls 365 says it's about the work, which is about solidarity and sisterhood. Who, who you with, sis? That's the question, whether you got a man or not. Oh, okay. Let them know. Who you with, sis? Whether you got a man or not. Yeah, don't throw us under the bus just because you booed up now. Um, blessed to be a blessing too says, I am putting women in a box. Um, patriarchy is toxic as hell. This is my Kimmin. Um, Black Knight 0626.2 says, dark skinned sisters, you are walking into rooms on a weekly basis and driving men crazy. You just don't know it. They are feeling you. Let's see. I guarantee you, dark skin sisters, you are walking in rooms and there's some man looking at you and saying, that's everything. Thank you, Mob and Formless, for buying a badge. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate the support in all forms, whether it be financial or um, just your attention. Your time and attention is also a form of support. Um, so I want to quickly comment on what Black Knight 0626.2 was saying about um, you know, dark-skinned women being admired by men. Because I think, I can't remember, I make so much content, y'all remember what I be saying and where and when I be saying it. <laughs> but I remember writing, I distinctly remember writing about how, um, like, I can know that intellectually, right? That the reality is, it's hard to say that, like, 100% of men would not find me attractive. Like, I feel like, yes, like in, on an intellectual level, you can know as a dark-skinned woman that statistically speaking, someone is going to find you attractive, right? They say there's someone for everybody, right? Like that kind of thing. But I also think that there's, I don't know if it's like social pressure or also an aspect of colorism or just, I don't know, the human dynamics where people are really quiet about their love and affirmation and really vocal and loud about their disdain and hatred. Um, so whether you're a man or not, whether you're gay, straight, bi, poly, whatever, 
like don't withhold affirmation for a dark-skinned woman like if you admire a dark-skinned woman for any reason romantically or platonically or just you just like her hair or her makeup or her dress her shoes like we need to stop withholding that affirmation because you'll have like a lot of um I remember one of my other friends you know telling me how like as an adult like guys would say oh I had such a huge crush on you in high school um, but they, I was too afraid to say anything. And so she was like, you, do you know what that would have done for my self-esteem if you had just acknowledged that? And so I think it's unfortunate that even though like what you're saying is true, the, the men who hate us are way louder than the men who love us. And that has to change. Like that is one of the things that has to change is that the people who say they love us have to love us out loud. They do because the people who hate us are hating us out loud. And so I don't think it's like, I, I even said, I, I was, I used to think, you know, I, I don't like secret admirers. I think secret admirers are pointless. Like, what can I do with a secret admirer? Like, I can't do nothing with that. <laughs> um, but it's true, right? It's like saying, oh, I have, five, I have $5 to give you. Like, that's great. But until you actually give it to me, it's worthless to me, right? And so I think, Part of just culturally speaking, anyone who loves a dark-skinned black woman or admires a dark-skinned black woman has to do it out loud, has to be unapologetic. And I think, was it dark-skinned women in Girls 365 who said this? Like doing that, like loving dark-skinned black women out loud teaches other people that it's okay to do it, shows people that it's other okay to do it. Um, because... I also mentioned like years ago, this was a few years ago, I made a post on Instagram, it's in the archives, about how we don't just need pictures of beautiful dark-skinned black women. We also need imagery and representation of people loving dark-skinned black women. Because I know so much focuses on like, oh, if you want to improve the self-esteem of dark-skinned black girls and you want to reduce people's colorist biases, show them beautiful images of dark-skinned black women. Like that's important, but it's like you can see a, a beautiful image of a dark-skinned black woman, but she's most often the only person in the picture. It's like we also need to see people loving on dark-skinned black women. We need to see people treating dark-skinned black women with kindness and care and compassion and concern and gentleness and tenderness and affection. We also need to see representations of that. Because I know for me, like, during the period of my life when I was, like, feeling the most depressed about being single like that was one thing I had to seek out for myself was representations of black dark-skinned black women especially those with natural hair who um were receiving affection who had you know managed to date and date well and find healthy relationships or happy partnerships and from the outside looking in you never know what's going on in somebody's relationship, but the representation was still important to me, right? So that's where I'm gonna leave y'all for tonight. I'll be back next week, probably talking about a part two of like the adult version, the more adult version of this, not adult as in, you know, you can't, kids can't watch it, but I just mean like during my adult years. Um, yeah, and so leave your questions and comments. I'm really curious to know more. I know a lot, I'm sure every dark skinned black girl has a story. <laughs> has their own story of this. Um, and again, regardless of whether you date men or whether you date men and women or, you know, whatever, there's a lot of our romantic dynamics are influenced by patriarchy, right? It's not just the heterosexual relationships that are influenced by patriarchy. Like all forms of relationships have been influenced by this culture and definitely been influenced by colorism definitely influenced by colorism all people regardless of their relationship status that kind of thing have to contend with their internalized colorism all right folks let me read these last few comments and then i, I really gotta get off the color in me what's up fam um yes that is so true uh let's see you may yes media teaches us how to feel about and respond to people Okay, court underscore Nico. 
the media teaches how to feel and about and respond to people. It does. It does. Um, wow. Thank you, Dr. Webb, for the clarity, vulnerability, and being a healer in our communities. This is from um, Miss I.R. Robinson. Missy, Missy Robinson. Missy Robinson, I think that's how you say. Thank you. That comment really means a lot. Um, blessed to be a blessing since we must overcome this cultural condition of dark-skinned Black women being marginalized. Yeah, we definitely need to overcome that. Thank you for your courage, dark-skinned women. We love you. Okay. Yes. Starting us off, loving us out loud. <laughs> All right, folks. Y'all have a great night. Thank you so, so much for joining me in this, like, new phase or this, like, new milestone in my work on colorism healing. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that y'all are, like, willing to go on this personal journey with me as well. And my hope is that by, by being vulnerable, by having the courage to open up a little bit about this particular part of my life, particularly how it, as it deals with colorism and my healing, that it does inspire other people, that it makes other dark-skinned Black folks feel seen, um, and, that, and also that it makes other people think, right? Because this can, this is, part of what we're all implicated in. We're all implicated in the stuff that I'm talking about, right? So whether it be adults who need to stop projecting onto young folks their perceived desirability politics, need to, you know, get over their own colorism so that they don't tell their children to marry um, white men so that their kids come out lighter, whatever it is. Like, we all have work to do in this arena. But most importantly, I hope it makes another dark-skinned Black woman feel seen. Um, all right, let's see. Hey, Lucid Los, uh, will you do one for dark-skinned women in relationships? A lot of people claim colorism is only an ugly girl problem or that it is only for desirability, but colorism is inescapable no matter your status. Um, yeah, I can do that. Although I will say, my ability to do that from personal experience is extremely limited. So I can talk about it like from an analytical or commenta social commentary standpoint, but I don't really have that um, experience. I can't talk about it from experience. Um, thank you, my Kimmin. Yay. But perhaps this is, that's you know something that we could talk about as a group, right? So it doesn't have to just be me. Um, yeah. All right, y'all have a great night. Love you, and I'll see y'all next Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Mwah. <laughs>Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and I hope you can join us for the next one.